he called me afterwards and I said, you know, it would be really helpful to just to know, like, how much are we talking about so that I can sort of craft something for you? And he goes, no less than a million. (laughs) Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. So when it comes to investing in my own business, I'm a bit of a cheapskate. But I've made one significant financial investment in my consulting business over the last two years. You've heard me mention it every episode since January 1st. My website. Every speck of my one visit away branding, my website, and everything you see visually from me was created by Jacob Laskowski with 86 Creative. Jacob made it so easy to hire him because he made it very clear to me from early on that he was there to serve me, to help me, and he helped me a number of times with branding and strategy even before I paid him anything. So by the time I was ready to establish my brand and elevate the work I was doing, I knew Jacob was the person to hire. Jacob and his team at 86 do incredible work creating brands for nonprofits. And if you want to elevate your mission, I cannot recommend them enough. Your brand is the first thing prospective benefactors are going to interact with when they encounter your organization. So don't make it look like some high school kid from back in the 90s designed your website for you. When you present a professional, clear brand and message, you set yourself up to look like the type of organization someone would invest a million dollars into. Check out his website at elevateyourmission.com and see the work that has led people like me to trust him with building a strong brand. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Visit Away. want to start out uh, just by thanking. We have another uh, review that's been left in Apple Podcasts from RH Habitat. So thank you uh, so much for that review. As always, guys, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews help the show grow tremendously. And this month, we uh, well, this past month, uh, for January, we had our best month yet, almost 1,500 downloads in the podcast. It continues to grow. And thank you all so much for listening. If you're enjoying it, please leave a rating and review. So, uh, send it to other development professionals who you think will enjoy the show. And thank you so much for listening. This week, we have a great episode with Alicia Faraday. Alicia is the Assistant Vice President for Development at the University of New England in Maine. In her current position, she leads a team of seven, including annual, major, planned, and corporate giving professionals. She's a career-long fundraiser, getting her start as a college student caller for her alma mater, SUNY Oswego. Alicia spent 13 years in annual giving at institutions like Syracuse University and Cornell University before moving to major gifts work. Also, Alicia, I believe, is the first guest on the show who owns a horse, so that is awesome. And you are going to really enjoy this wonderful conversation with Alicia Faraday. Well, thanks so much for being on One Visit Away, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, you're one of the... It's interesting how we met because every now and then I've I've made a, allusions to this. Like sometimes people will just send me like nasty emails like man like you're 
Oh, like the they will literally call out my moral character for like something that I've said, and I'm just like, geez, like this is the first thing you've ever said to me. You sent me an email that was nice because you disagreed with some stuff I said, but did it in like a normal human being type of way, <laughs> which had to do with you know the differences between sales and major gifts, and that kind of started our conversation, and now here you are on the show, so. Thank you for reaching out and just tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'll also share what I disagreed with. <laughs> but, yeah, please, um, please. I'm, I like to think that um, it's not good to reach out to people and say mean things to them. You don't get nice answers. Um, but uh, my name is Alicia Faraday. I am the Assistant Vice President of uh, Development for the University of New England. And I live in Maine, so I'm bundled up today because it's 11 degrees out. And um, I got my start in fundraising. I've, I'm a career long fundraiser. 22 years ago, as a phonathon caller at my alma mater, SUNY Oswego, and it was the best place to go to school for me. And then I I have a degree in English literature, and I was like, what the heck am I going to do? Well, I'm going to fu- write for fundraising. So Syracuse University hired me to write their direct mail pieces, and believe it or not. It was before there was email solicitation. <laughs> I wrote direct mail and uh, was one of the managers for the phonathon. So that is awesome. Yeah. So so that's so cool. And I'm really interested. Um, so like, come. I'm still, you know, fairly. I'm pretty new to the fund. I mean, I've been in it for seven years, but but I'm always curious. Like, I grew up in the age where you could text people and. That was just like, that was just kind of normal to me. And so I think about like the way that people used to call up somebody to schedule a visit, I- I'm sure was just totally different in so many ways. So how, yeah, how has that been? And just like seeing that progression in your career? Well, it's interesting. So I, when I started at Syracuse, I was in annual giving and I stayed in annual giving for um, another 10 years, uh, 13 years, actually. Um, so I stayed in annual giving for another 13 years. So I was calling people and mailing people and you couldn't email people really. I mean, you could, but you couldn't. Um, And so watching that progress, I got to hear Dave Dunlop speak. I don't know if you've talked about him at all in the podcast, but he um, is the grandfather and and the inventor of moves management. And so he was at Cornell at the time. And um, he talked a lot about how his relationships were built via mail and the phone. Um, and he and meetings. So he he developed the art of the perfect meeting, and um, he just was donor centric before we all know what knew what donor centric was. And so I think in that time, it was harder to get meetings, but it was more meaningful to get meetings. Okay. Yeah. Now yeah, we so, can text so, people. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so now you're reminding me of your email, and you mentioned you mentioned how. Like you met Jerry Panis in person, right? Like you went to one I of his did. trainings. Yeah. So just tell us about that because I'm, I'm so jealous. Uh, Jerry's really, really nice and a good human being. And I've met Dave Dunlop too. Uh, I heard him three times and met him in person once. Um, and um, Jerry, I got to go to one of his conferences when I worked at uh, the University of Washington in Chicago. Um, and he was so down to earth. We got to have one-on-one sessions with him where we actually brought a prospect we were having trouble with. And he 
mentored. It was the first time in my career as a major gift officer where someone sat down with me and said, here's the steps you should take to get a gift from this person. And my mind was blown and it absolutely changed the trajectory for me. He was amazing. And, you know, he, I've read mega gifts. I've read a bunch of his books and he doesn't talk about process, which is another little thing I have with major gift fundraising. There is a process. Um, but he talks about how meaningful it is for us and our work and how meaningful it is for the donor. And to me, that was like a trigger point of like, I need to do this work for the donor. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I think that, that kind of, so Jerry, um, when you were talking about that was your first time receiving like one-on-one, this is what you should do with this person that kind of ties into part of your disagreement with my podcast episode on, on major gifts versus sales. So could you talk about that a little? Yeah. So it's funny. I had a, a gentleman that was a donor of mine and he was in sales and he said, sales is a four letter word. And I was like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> but I don't disagree that um, there are lots of things that are similar in sales versus major gifts. My biggest disagreement is there's when in sales, because it's usually for profit, there is an investment in those people. As, yeah. as a new hire, there's an investment of time and money and effort to onboard a sales associate. Um, and there's just this great effort to make them successful, give them all the resources they have. Yeah. As someone who went from annual giving to major gifts and who's been now as a leader for a major gifts department for several years, there is a lack of resources, a lack of time mm-hmm. investment, and just a general, I, from what I believe of my peers and of my own experience, there's just a general misunderstanding about how much support a real, really successful major gift officer needs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. And, well, that's and I no think fun. That, <laughs> yeah. No, you're wrong. Just Everybody gets too much support. <laughs> I'm saying cut their salary, cut their benefits and put them on a one-way ticket to uh, Southern Indiana and just figure yeah. it out. <laughs> no, but, but it is. So, so I think this is why, so this is why I appreciated your message and uh, like, it's good for us to have these discussions in podcast form and just online or whatever, because it helps us to like, I have a perspective that kind of, you know, causes the lens that I view certain things in. And then you have a perspective that's like, you know, giving you your lens. And and so like, we're both kind of seeing the same thing, but I think from different perspectives. So like for me, I I think we experienced the same thing, which was neither of us really had the type of training that maybe we wish we would have had when we started out. And so I think, I think in just the way I'm kind of wired is like, I feel like I eventually kind of figured it out somewhat. And now I'm just trying to like share that with as many people as possible and try to wake people up from the, I just see too many people who are like, well, this is just how it is. And I can't, you know, I, I made two calls last month and nobody's <laughs> reaching back out. And so, so to me, it's like, you gotta, you gotta do more and like take more action. And so I'm saying that, and you're saying, I think like 
yeah, you have to take more action, but somebody at some point has to like teach you what to do. You can't just like do a bunch of stuff untrained and be be effective. So does that sound like a kind of yeah, I think it's a mixture. You know, you you have to be, and when I look for major gift officers to hire, I look for driven, ambitious, passionate people. So you have to have that innately in you to be good at major gifts. And, you know, grit and determination. And I know you've talked about that before as well. But then as a major gift officer being hired, what you should look for in your supervisor is someone who's going to onboard you well, who's going to teach you, mentor you, or take you on visits. Like, Teach you how to be successful, show you the roadmap, because there is a roadmap to success. And for me, I sucked at major gifts when I got in there uh, for two years, a year and a half. I really, and I, similar to what you're, you're talking about is how these major gift officers say, I made two calls last month and that I'm not getting anywhere. I was in that boat where I was like, I don't understand why these people aren't calling me back. And I wasn't doing enough of the work. I wasn't building a pipeline. I wasn't doing it because I felt like I was hitting roadblocks and maybe it was all in my head, but I just felt like I hit some roadblocks. And what ended up happening was I found mentorship in my peers. So I I went out and sought mentorship and um, leadership from other women. It actually turned out to be other women who were fundraisers as well and could mentor me through the process and go on visits and, just strategize because we we were we felt like we were all alone in it, and so we formed a group that's still together today. We call each other. Um, we have a man now, so we're not completely sexist. <laughs> <laughs> He's purely for uh, for political appearances. There's no <laughs> yes. So okay, so so now that we're talking about this more, I think maybe we're even more on the same page because I think. So what I'm thinking of now, so you made that point, which I think is incredible, is that in in for-profit companies, there is a financial incentive to invest money and resources and training into the sales staff because they know what it means for like revenue and long-term success of the company. And so I think that's a lot of what I'm saying is we need more of in in the major gifts world is we need the sales approach to training and like the resources and the time and the just like good you know products i guess on like like how like like who jerry panis i think man if, if we could just get every major gift fundraiser in the world to read every book he's ever written like Problem solved, I think, in, in in a big way. And so so I think, but Jerry has passed on now. And I, I think we need more of his type of perspective and people that like know what they're doing and can, whether it's one-on-one or in more scalable methods, whether it's, you know, books or online courses or stuff like that, getting major gift officers training. Yeah. Well, and so many of us um, that are failing. So when I was failing, I went out and sought resources. Like where, where do I, and you're a resource in this podcast. You're a resource for major gift officers to say that are, that were like me that are saying, I don't know how to do this work. How the heck do I do this work? And podcast gives examples over and over again of how to do this work. And 
that was what I was seeking when I was in my position for the first year and a half. And in reaching out to peers, I was able, they were able to provide me resources. And one of them was going through training at the time for how to be a major gift officer. And she shared all her PDFs with me. I didn't have to go to the class, the class. She just shared it all. Um, And that's that collaboration is so important. And um, the resources are there. The research has been done. We've been major gift fundraising for a long time now. And there is a lot of research. There's a lot of roadmaps. There's some rules. There's all sorts of resources out there for free, for pay, um, that you can find if you're determined to be good at this job. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So let me. So I'm right about to ask you to start sharing some stories, but before I do that, I just want to clarify: I am drinking a lime flavored uh, sparkling water. It is not beer. So I don't think you're drinking beer (laughs) at at ten o'clock in the morning. Um, (laughs) So now that we have that, uh, I always feel like I need to tell people that. But anyway. You have some awesome- these are the times of Zoom, by the way, where you can see what people are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have some awesome stories to share. One of them has to do with kind of like your first d- trip. It was a day to New York City, I believe. Is that right? It was. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us about that? Yeah. So I, I had an amazing mentor. When I became the director of annual giving for Cornell Law School, I my boss at the time was absolutely amazing. He was smart. He was um, resourceful. He was everything that I want to be when I, as a boss, I, I hope he listens to this and I hope he knows that, but he was just the best boss. And um, when I was learning how to, I had never done face-to-face visits before. So um, he took me and he said, you're going to get the visits and we're going to go to New York city. And I want you to get three or four visits and let's do it. And he and I strategized ahead of time who's going to make the ask in each visit. We knew who we were visiting. We didn't do a ton of research. We just knew where they worked, their giving history, how much we were going to ask for. And we talked about it. So uh, our first visit was at like nine o'clock in the morning. It was with an older alum. And he basically said like, sorry, guys, give what I'm giving. That's it. And it was a solid visit, but, you know, Nothing really great. And so we went to our second visit and it was a Wall Street guy and he had a beautiful office and he clearly loved music and he had posters all over the wall with these signatures of famous people and he name dropped a lot. And we were there to ask him to be a part of our reunion committee and also um, to ask him for a five year commitment. Actually, I think it was three years at the time, a three year commitment, $30,000. And we knew that he didn't like to be solicited. He didn't like to be asked. He was, we always sent him annual giving mailings, but he didn't like to be asked for money. But we were like, well, no one likes to be asked for money. <laughs> we're going to ask him anyway. And uh, so we decided that because it was the first time I was asking or he, or, you know, I was, they, my boss would make the ask to show me yeah. how it's done. And he wasn't cocky. So this is not a like, let me show you how to do it. Um, so he, we got in there and I made the ask for him to be on the reunion committee, which he did. And then I kind of swung it his way. And he said, I, we'd like a commitment of $30,000 over three years. And the man stood up, opened his door and said, thank you. That like, uh, have a nice day. <laughs> and I stood up and I 
I was so dumbfounded. I looked at a poster on the wall and said, oh, my God, did you see? Do you know that person? And per, like, I went to like a poster. I don't even know what just happened. So we said goodbye weirdly and got to the <laughs> office and we both are dead silent. And we got on the elevator and we burst out laughing. <laughs> we were just like, what just happened? Uh, that, and he's like, I'm really sorry. This is like your first <laughs> you get at someone's office. I will oh, never man. forget that. Um, the gentleman actually ended up giving, he served on the reunion committee and actually gave $35,000. Yes. Um, yes. So it was a big, <laughs> nobody asked him again, though. <laughs> that is so funny. So, man, I this is why I wish, uh, so Squadcast is the, the platform we're using to record this. If you're listening, Squadcast, which I know you're not, you need to get the video recording because my <laughs> my facial expressions, I'm just so on edge hearing the story. That that's crazy. No one's. Yeah, I mean, it, so part of me feels bad, like telling these stories to people because they never happen. Like it's you know, like almost never happens. And so it's it's the young development professional's worst fear is that something like that happens. But I just love that y'all were able to crack up laughing. And I think one of the benefits of uh, of going on visits with somebody else to to share in the successes as well as the defeats. <laughs> oh yeah, and I love telling that story. I mean, it's something I will never forget. I you know I was just starting out. It was now it was like eleven years ago. <laughs> so. Um, I, w- I wonder what he was thinking. I would I would love to interview him if uh, if he would ever want to have a conversation. Just like what? Probably like, what? not. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's still. I when I left, he was still a major donor. So like he was yeah. still giving and still. <laughs> oh man, that is so funny. Okay, so this might be a seemingly unimportant detail, but I think you told me y'all y'all took the bus to New York, yeah. right? Yeah. And how far of a bus ride is that from, from Cornell? Uh, it was about four hours. So we left at six o'clock in the morning and then we got down there between nine and 10. Usually Cornell has a club in Midtown Manhattan. So they just drop you off there. Um, I was not a club member, so I didn't go past the front door, but we picked up, we got to pick be picked up and dropped off there and it came back. It came back at other times, but we usually picked it up at 6 PM at night to get back home. So, okay. You know, and did you did you just get around the the city in a in a cab? A uh, cab, subway, walk. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like all of these these little details of like what the day kind of looks like. Just, um, I, I think a lot of people can resonate with that kind of stuff, and I think it's it's cool to see. Like, you can get a lot done in a day. So, absolutely. You're, you're in day one. You've had two visits. Yes. You, so you leave that one. You're cracking up in the elevator. What you're happened? Leaving. So we had to go up to Midtown. So we, um, the rule at Cornell was three visits minimum per day. Okay. Um, and I could usually fit in five or six, depending. But this. Now, now just to clarify, you're saying uh, like three visits per day if you're going to justify traveling to another Correct. city? Okay. Correct. Yeah. So um, even, even New York, you couldn't just go down for a day unless it was to sign, you know, a million dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we. Uh, had to get up to Midtown. So we took the subway back up and uh, went to this, uh, we went to this gentleman's office and he 
was relatively new as a donor. He was giving $5,000 a year. He was on one of our uh, volunteer committees. Um, so we kind of knew him, but he had only been doing it for a couple of years. Um, yeah. And so we, again, did very little research um, for these people. And I do, you talk a lot about how you don't need to have a lot of research. You don't <laughs> need to do a lot of research. <laughs> um, and so I went into the visit. And it was my turn to ask. And this had happened earlier, maybe an hour or two earlier that we got kicked out of. Yeah. So I'm pretty much still in panic mode. Yeah. That. Um, and so it was my turn to ask. And I had to ask for $50,000. <laughs> and as far as I know, he had never been asked for that much money. And we asked him to serve on his reunion committee. These were reunion visits. So we'd asked okay. him for his reunion committee commitment and then for the gift. And I said, would you consider a gift of $50,000? Silence. And he sat there and he looked at me and he goes, $50,000. And I said, yes. I just said, yes. And he said, I need to think about it. And he ended up doing it. He did it over five years instead of three. But he, mm. and then before that was done, he did another one. Wow. His first ever uh, major gift. Wow. That is awesome. That's so yeah. cool. So I have a theory, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, one of my theories is that like, it's always good to ask people for an amount that's higher than maybe you know they think is appropriate or something like that. Partially because I think sometimes, well, it's just tough for people to give away money. Um, like so, so that there's that. It's hard to give away money, um, and and sometimes when we ask for a number, like you asked this guy for fifty thousand, it had probably never entered his mind up to that point in his in his life that I would give $50,000 to anyone. And now that you all you did was say those words, and now it entered his mind, and it threw him off at first, but eventually he came around to it. And so I think there's a lot of power in just like saying a number. Even if they can't do it that first time, a lot of times over time they'll get there once they kind of like view your organization in that way and can see how, you know what, maybe I am the type of person that gives away that kind of money. Have you found that to be true or any thoughts about that? Yes, I absolutely agree with you. And I, it's true in both annual giving and in major gifts, annual giving as well. Um, if you throw that number out there, people start to think about it. You don't want to ask them for what they gave last year, ask them for three times what they gave last year. Um, yeah. And then they'll start thinking about whether they can do it. Um, and the same with major gifts. I often tell major gift officers to think of the highest amount they want to ask and put that in their proposal and work towards that gift and throw that number out there because someday they will give it, especially if their capacity rating is up there, they will, they will think about it and they will eventually get there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so so you got your your first visit is nothing good happens. <laughs> Second visit, you get asked to leave. Third visit, there's some stuttering, and you've got you've got one more on this day, right? No, that oh, was the last one. We had a okay. volunteer meeting, so but okay. we didn't get right. any answers that day. That was the interesting part. We kind of got to know when we got thrown out, but 
I think it's interesting how some major gift officers perceive a conversation. So I think it's also, you know, when you're having, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and so that uncomfortable conversation usually leads to something positive because you learned something. So every visit really needs to be about learning something about the donor, about their, you know, in the man that stuttered, it was, we learned that this was going to be his first gift of that size. So, um, you know, you've got to learn something from every visit and then be able to tailor for the next visit. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, well, that sounds like a great day, and what a what a great way to to be mentored as you're uh, getting started in your career. Yeah, so, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, so tell me tell me about what what other stories you'd like to share. Uh, so after um, Cornell, I went. So I often called major gifts the dark side, giving uh, <laughs> because I I truly believe this, and in in many cases, as you can probably attest. I have joked that major gifts is where annual donors go to die. <laughs> not, <laughs> not actually die, but it's where they don't give anymore. And it's because major gift officers don't ask for an annual gift as part of their cultivation strategy. And it is absolutely a sticking point with me that that is not acceptable. <laughs> like that. No. Um, and so I went to uh, the University of Washington when I, after leaving Cornell, uh, so all the way across the country, and they don't have an annual giving program like Cornell's where, you know, we had 30 people in annual giving who were basically frontline fundraisers who were out not only doing direct mail, but also doing annual giving asks. And they don't have that there. So my only option was to go into major gifts because that's my, that was my next step in my career. And so I went to the dark side reluctantly because it was going to be really boring work. And, in re and what happened was I sucked. <laughs> so I was one of the people that we talked about that, you know, I started and I think it was assumed that I knew what I was doing because in an annual giving person, I had been in fundraising and higher education for at that point, 13 or 14 years. So, um, you know, I think it was just assumed. So I got a computer and an office and go for it. And I was, what do I do? Um, and so I stunk. I, you know, when I onboard major gift officers now, I am very specific. I meet with them every day, their first week, three times the third week, twice. The, I am onboarding them extensively their first month. Yeah. By that third week, I want them out doing visits or making phone calls. And um, part of it is just learning how to prioritize a portfolio. So I prioritized my portfolio because I was given my own <laughs> my druthers on how I want yeah. to do that. I prioritized by previous donors had they given before and age. I looked at like, how old are they? So I um, started reaching out to people who had already given because I wanted to know, I needed to know more about why they gave, why I give to the university of Washington. What, what was your motivation? Why? And so I, built relationships with some of these people who had endowments and who had, you know, one of them had given cumulatively more than a million dollars. And so it was really great to talk to those people, but I was not building my pipeline. I was building great relationships with people, but not, I was not returning on the investment. Of yeah. They weren't like leading towards a gift. It was just kind of like, let's just, Get to know people kind of thing. Yeah. I was just sort of like, let me get to know people. Exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, not pushing myself enough, not thinking strategically about how I was going to move all these people towards a gift. And so I, I really flailed around for like a year and a half. Like, I don't know how, what's the roadmap here? What are the benchmarks? How do, what, you know, at one point I was like, how many visits should I be having? How many actions should I have in, and I would look up people I knew who were good because in the University of Washington's database, you could look up how many actions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would look them up and be like, oh, oh, that's how many they have? <laughs> oh. So I, I figured I, that's how I got motivated. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to have like 400 phone calls, emails, and mailings. Well, I had 100. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's how I motivated myself. But in that time where I was building relationships, I will say a, a lot of my colleagues and, and my supervisors said, you know, don't bother with those people. Don't bother with the elderly old ladies who've already given their endowments or have already left us a planned gift. Like just set it and forget it and call once a year or whatever. But I didn't really listen because I was interested in them and I thought they had more to offer. And it yeah. turns out two of them did. Um, and I got a lot of other major gifts during my time there, but two of them were really meaningful to me. And one of them, I got $100,000 on the phone. Whoa. <laughs> because I had gotten to know her so well, after about two years at the University of Washington, I, I'll call her Mary because I don't want to spill her name, but um, I'd gotten to know her really well. And we were doing a match challenge for a um, master's degree, for a master's degree. Uh, endowment. And she had one, she already had the endowment. And I was like, well, could the match count for somebody who's just going to give another pledge to their own endowment? And they said, yes. And so I said, all right. So she was, I think she was in Hawaii or something, but I called her and I said, so we're doing this match. Would you consider a hundred thousand dollars? And she said, sure. Send me the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And there was more to it than that. And we were very, you know, we were, I don't want, we were friendly. I had visited with her. I had lunch with her. She took me to football games. Like, you know, I had gotten to know her well enough to be able to call her and ask her for right. $1,000. Yeah, yeah. Now, was she, was she just on vacation in Hawaii or did she live in Hawaii? She had a house. She lived in Washington and had a home in Hawaii as well. So, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then the other one I had built, she had a planned gift um, at the University of Washington. And so um, I had really just been visiting her once a year, twice a year, t- a couple touch points throughout the year, just kind of checking in with her. Yeah. And we decide, I, she decided that she was really, she had decided that she was going to give some money. It was just uh, like, hey, I'm going to, I want to give. And I was like, oh, okay, what would you like to get to? And she signed an endowment agreement and um, it was a hundred thousand dollars to her passion. And wow. this thing I just cultivate, we had coffee. She knew um, she once forgot to give before the calendar year end and wanted to make sure it was tax deductible. So she called me on December 31st and I drove to her and picked up her check and got wow. in time to be processed. And um, like, we just became friendly and uh, yeah. she knew my role. I was, her money person, her philanthropist yeah. person. But um, yeah, she she ended up giving. And I didn't ask her in that case. I think that was more of a, you know, we had, she knew about our needs and yeah. she met those needs. 
Yeah, that's so cool. And, and I think the like one of the important lessons here is so, so you'd mentioned how you were developing all these relationships, but there wasn't really any like you didn't really know where you were going with any of them when you started out. But I think that's the that's one of the beautiful things about just going and scheduling visits is you like it's infinitely better to be building relationships and getting to know your donors without any objective really than it is to just like well just uh sitting in my office trying to like learn you know the strategy or whatever endlessly um so i think that's that's just the great thing like you you can almost never go wrong by scheduling a visit with somebody um so i, I think that's awesome yeah i i think there's a saying about like done is better than perfect a yep. visit is better than sitting in your office yeah the visits are where all the fun happens so yeah i'm trying to see uh i'm i'm looking through your your linkedin message are there any other stories that you that you want there was so the one the other one from um that story list that i it's the last story and it was the last gift i closed before i left the university of washington it was a gift um and i had worked with this gentleman again i had reached out to people who already had endowments when i started And he had an endowment that he established in the 80s and gave every year somewhere between seven and ten thousand dollars every year to uh, the endowment. And every year I introduced him to the scholarship recipients that he um, had his scholarship had funded. And it was really sweet. Every year he had named the scholarship after his dad. And every year he brought a picture of his dad and shared it with the students and then shared his story and. Um, he never talked about himself. Um, I knew that he was an avid hiker. And so I was, I'm also a hiker. So I, we talked about hiking a little bit and he shared, um, after about three and a half years, he shared that he had just hit a million miles of hiking. And I was like, Oh, so cool. And he was 80, he was in his eighties and he still skied every day, uh, in the winter. And he was an avid hiker and a million miles. I can't like a million miles. I'm t- that is my, my I, <laughs> going around the entire globe. Isn't that like 60,000 miles or something like that? Like, oh, I don't even know. <laughs> this guy's essentially walked around the earth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Sorry to interrupt you. No, Bob. that's okay. I was also blown away by that. <laughs> I okay, want to so- be him when I grow up. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. so he's telling you about that. So he, you know, we had developed a, a similar to what we had developed a relationship and um, he relied on me every year when he gave his annual gift to say thank you. And he would often send the gift right to me. Um, and I would make sure I said thank you and call and I would send him stories along the way. And we just had, kind of built a long term relationship. And our plan giving officer had been trying to get uh, also establish a relationship and um, the way the University of Washington worked is we collaborated with our colleagues. And so I every year for those stewardship visits, I would invite her because I knew that she wanted to build rapport with him and to talk about a planned gift, but hmm. never would accept a visit with her. And so I would bring her to the stewardship visit so she could see that. And then um, in May of, I guess it was 2017, he called me and said, Will you come to my house? I want you to talk to my wife and I about a planned gift. And I was like, whoa, yes. So I called up my planned giving colleague and I I uh, said, we got to go. 
And so she and I drove out there. I think it was like the next day. Yeah. His wife wasn't able to leave the home much. So I'd actually never met her. I'd met him four or five times at this point, but had not met her. And so she and the planned giving officer and I went on this visit and she was the one, she came from a wealthy family. Um, She had not left any estate plans and it was her witnessing his stewardship, his excitement about his scholarship and his, um, his philanthropy that drove her to also want to give. She was not a graduate. She had no real affiliation and she had not been on these visits, but his excitement in telling her, had cultivated this interest. So uh, we went on the visit and she had an interest in study abroad programs, which was an interesting, we don't often get people who are interested in study abroad programs as a planned gift. Hmm. So we talked to her about that and her interest and left that day. And he called me afterwards and I said, you know, it would be really helpful to just to know, like, how much are we talking about so that I can sort of craft something for you? And he goes, no less than a million. <laughs> wow. And I said, wow, uh, that is so awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, she and I ended up closing that gift on my last day in the office. And wow. that was so I actually would love to know where they are now. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was such a great way to end my time there on a relationship that I had started. I think he was one of my first phone calls. Wow. That is so cool. That is amazing. Man, I, I can't imagine a <laughs> a last day gift of, you know, seven figures is that is something special. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Uh, he was, it, you know, he wanted to make a difference and he felt like we were doing a good job. And that was my I felt like that was my job was yeah. to show him how grateful we were every year. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, and it's always just uh, yeah. I mean, I think the hiking thing is awesome, and the <laughs> the million miles is still blowing me away. Um, but yeah, that that's just such a great relationship, and it it makes me wonder. So I'm you know you you've moved like over the country a couple times. Are there? I'm just curious. Are there any people that that you've worked with that you've stayed in touch with at all over the years? I stayed in touch with um, two, as far as donors, um, two donors when I initially moved here to Maine that were still in Washington. And um, one of them was the woman who gave $100,000 on the phone. Uh, I sent her a cookbook. And uh, so that was fun. She, her scholarship um, had supported a lot of students and one of them published a cookbook. And so I'd found it. I was just randomly, I, she didn't know. And I knew his name and sent her the cookbook and it was long after I had left was here. And so that was fun. Um, And one other gentleman that um, I just got to know really well. And he was a, you know, there's, there's donors that don't need to talk to you a lot and there's donors that do. And I think it's really important to when a donor needs to talk to you a lot, it's okay to talk to them a lot. You know, if, also saying like, why are you visiting with this person four times a year? You know, you need to have it in your mind. Like I'm going to make an ask or I'm going to make a bigger ask or whatever it is, but some people need more attention. Gentleman was one of those people. And he did, he went from giving nothing to giving $10,000 a year in just a year of me doing a few extra visits. And he liked to have coffee at McDonald's. So it wasn't costing us or anything like that. Um, But uh, you know, he 
also he kept in touch with me after we had lunch a couple of times afterwards and um he was just really happy to see that I was still in fundraising and you know he he was um I think we haven't emailed in a while but I do keep tabs on him he was retired so in many ways I think he was just bored <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, that's, that's awesome though. And I think like little, little things like, like that and sending the woman, the cookbook, like, I think a lot of your success has come from just like, you know, talking to you for the past 40 minutes is like, you clearly just care a lot about like, no, no, everybody cares about the mission. I think that's Mm -hmm. like, it's very apparent that you care about the people that you've worked with and they can sense that. And like, the, like people can just tell when you're genuine and you care about them. And that, that makes a big difference in like where you're going to invest a million dollars or who, who you're going to want to be telling your wife about so much like, look like I've been able to do here. And like, you know, Alicia's so wonderful. And like, she's helped me out in these ways. And, and like, you don't even know the impact that you're having through the secondary relationships, like this guy's wife that he's talking to that, you know, leads to that huge gift. So yeah, it's thoughtfulness too. Like I, you have to treat every donor as if they're your grandparents and, and not every donor is old, but if yeah. you know, you're, you're be thoughtful, like when you see a news article um, and you're like, Oh, you know, so-and-so is really into deer and that's an art. It doesn't have to be an yeah. article about your mission and your organization. It could be anything. I just sent an article about, um, we have a college of osteopathic medicine and there's mm-hmm. a challenge when Dr. Jill Biden was called Dr. Jill Biden and people yeah. took issue with, with that. Yeah. And we talked about women and being called doctors and there was a lot of articles around it. And I had had that conversation with a donor and I sent her the article. I don't know her yeah. affiliation, but it was just about, you know, yeah. doctor and doctor and I'm going to put that together for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just those little things that like, I was thinking about you kind of mm-hmm. thing that everybody appreciates. And it's just nice to like, know that I think part of it, especially with people who are giving away money is that like, not every time you speak to them is Hey, give us money, give us money, give us money, which is a, you know, happens to a lot Mm -hmm. of people who give away money. So anything like that is a, is a huge win for sure. Yeah. And get to know your donors well enough to be able to do that. That's the other part. Yes. Yeah. Find out what they care about. Like find out what they do on the weekends and like what they're Mm going to, you know, what they're doing besides work and giving away money. Um, Cause yeah, that it, it, yeah, the, that goes back to one of my one of my ideas is just like the people who are giving away the like whoever a benefactor is giving the most money to. I believe it's not because like they know so much about you and your organization. I think it's more about how much do you know about them and like how much have you taken time to understand what they care about. And then through all of that and knowing all these different aspects of their life, we're able to present them with meaningful opportunities so that like when we do speak about our organization, it's not just, 
sit down for an hour and I'm going to tell you everything anyone could ever want to know. Um, because I, th- I think that's the tendency we, we get caught in when we're new. We think it's about like, we're, we're going to do this stuff and we're going to show them that this is mm-hmm. the place to make their money. Yeah. Uh, so many of my meetings are not about what's happening there. Yeah. We're talking about them and I, University of New England is a huge place. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of healthcare programs. I am not a doctor. I don't know anything about being a doctor. And I see it as I am not the expert. I'm not there to talk about what doctors do. I'm there to talk about what UNE does or their gift can make a difference for our students. Um, my, My, when I partner with another faculty member or staff member, they're the expert. My expertise is in asking. So yeah. um, I really like to partner with as many, um, I call it relationship mapping, but I, mm. I like to create relationships with as many people on campus as I can, because those people are the experts, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this has been awesome, Alicia. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with the millions of people who will listen to this episode or, or anything you'd like to promote? <laughs> uh, no, nothing for nothing to promote other than I will say my saying uh, of my, the, my entire career has always been do the work and the money will come. And I, and I think that's what your podcast is all about. You should perhaps change it to do the work. Money will come, <laughs> but do the work, give yourself a pipeline, make, 400 phone calls and emails and whatever it is a year don't or or more like don't be held back by like how do i do it right do the work and the money will come (laughs) yeah love it well thank you so much alicia this was amazing and uh look forward to talking to you soon yeah thank you that was alicia faraday with the university of new england I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please go ahead and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Also, please go ahead and share the show with other development professionals. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, you can go to my website, onevisitaway.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always posting great stuff pretty much every day on LinkedIn, so go connect with me there and let me know that you you know got in touch with me because of the podcast. I love getting to know all you guys through LinkedIn, so please go ahead and do that. I hope Alicia's stories have inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from getting kicked out of somebody's office or just maybe receiving a $1 million gift on your last day at an organization.